Hebrews chapter 12. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. (laughs) I mean, the Bible never fails. Yes, it indeed says that I am to make every effort. That I am to live in peace. That I am to be holy. Because without holiness, I will not see the Lord. And the very next verse says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God. You can't preach one without the other. Good morning. Welcome to Rogue Grace on this beautiful Thursday morning. Here in the Applegate Valley, On this Thursday, glad to be able to take some time with you and consider the grace of our God. By the way, if you want, I get to write um, some encouragements for those who want that on my blog site, on my website, Peter John Corson, C-O-U-R-S-O-N, if you uh, want to check that out. There's also the radio program, so you don't have to listen live or to the whole thing. <laughs> uh, there's my book. By the way, I my book, I, I wrote it, finished it right before my brain melted down, literally, and uh, found out yesterday that Patty Purcell edited the book, re-edited the book while I was in the hospital. Bless her heart. So if you want, you can pick up a copy uh, here in the bookstore or online. It's entitled, It is Finished, Seven Stops in the Quest for Rest. But going back to Hebrews, it says in the next verse, See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance as the oldest son giving up his rights. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. So the writer of Hebrews is bringing up this incredible interaction between Esau And his father, Isaac, his brother, Jacob, that whole fiasco that you're familiar with. And let's consider it for a moment. But the first thing to say, as I read that, was we read to be holy and do not fall short of the grace of God. The way to holiness is believing the gospel of grace. Now, he talks about this root of bitterness. Watch out for it. A root of bitterness that infected Esau. 
A root of bitterness that comes because, as the writer points out, people fall short of the grace of God. And it brings about fornication, sexual sin. It brings about sexual issues. I mean, and unforgiveness, bitterness, he says. Now, just from my point of view, being in the ministry now 20 years, being a son of a pastor, being who I am, to me, those are the two big issues in the church, not our church. I mean, just generally speaking, unforgiveness and sexual issues. And the amazing thing to me, the ironic thing is you might not hear any more sermons than on those two subjects, on forgiving and sermons on sex in America, in our Western culture, on the radio, on TBN today. That's the irony. And in the story of Esau, the older brother, Esau was, um, how can we put it? Sexually repressed, Hebrews 12 says. He was a mess. He was looking to perform for his father's approval. And he was a mess. His father was essentially saying to him, I love when you perform, but you better perform. And it melted him down. So that's why I get to continue to keep my kids focused on the message of grace. Uh, Let me tell you practically how that kind of works out. I rarely talk to them about the grace of God. I'm making a, a confession, not one that I'm embarrassed of. That is, you might think, oh, Pete, always talking about grace and God's goodness and the gospel message on the radio or at church. So he must give those same things to his kids. Not necessarily. Oh, it'll come out because it's the deepest part of my being and my understanding. But in our day-to-day conversations, it's not just grace and um, favor and um, goodness. I mean, it comes out, but it's everyday conversations. It's counseling. It's advising. It's listening to their problems. It's talking about cheerleading, whatever it may be. And the reason I'm I'm saying that is because um, this power of grace is so much deeper than me just telling them about it. We have to live it. And I'm finding as a dad, maybe it's because I have four daughters. So I'm going to say that I'm not going to take credit for having a son because I don't. But as far as my four daughters are concerned, grace does a whole lot more. and is so much more effective than the law when it comes to me being a dad. 
my poor eldest daughter, Bailey, when she was, I don't know, two or three years old. We were at the zoo in San Diego with my parents. We were at the San Diego Zoo, and I still am haunted by this. We were trekking around the zoo, and she was having a bad day. She was just melting down all of the time. And I spanked her, I don't know, what, two, three, four, five? I don't know how many times. I look back, I go, oh, PJ, you moron. See, I was preaching the Bible. I was a teacher of, I was a pastor of Applegate. My dad was living in San Diego. But I didn't yet grasp the beauty of grace like I have these past years. And it came out in my parenting. And my poor daughter, Bailey, when she was three, oh, I'm just glad that God has had mercy on me as a dad. And she is turning out into a beautiful young lady, soul, spirit, as well as body. But all I'm saying is that grace does so much more than the law ever could. From the chaos you composed A song that all creation knows You took a mess and you made life You said let there be light Word of God got from the start Recreating human hearts Make us like the moon at night
Lord Jesus, to you be the glory. You alone are worthy, not unto us. Oh, Lord, not unto us. We are in ourselves, in our flesh, weak. We are vulnerable. We are not only tempted, but we also fall. We are frail. But you, Lord Jesus, are perfect and you are light. And in that perfection, you have not only kept the commandments of God, you have also loved us perfectly. Therefore, Lord, this radio program and station is for your glory. This church and these people we are belong to you. My dad and the pastors here on staff, we serve you. For you alone are worthy. Amen. You know, I love this kind of weather. I, I bet you do too. Um, I'm looking at my yard and my garden and what have you. And I'm reminded that the flow of this world is negative. And I don't mean to sound like a downer. I mean, because of the fall. Naturally, this world, the flow is negative. And the reason I am reminded and the reason I say that is not only because of the power of the God's word declaring such, um, but looking at my garden or my yard, I see that left to itself, it will produce weeds. Weeds that are the result of the curse in Genesis chapter 3. So my, my yard, my, my garden has to be cultivated and tended because the flow of the world is negative. You have to go against it. The question is how? How do you take the weeds out of the garden? How is it cultivated and tended? How, was, how does one go against the flow of the world? You do this through the grace of Jesus Christ. What is the definition of grace? We don't need to redefine it. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. We really don't know more than vines or strongs or sphere. I mean, to be all modern, people might call grace this or that, God's empowerment or whatever, but it still and always will be undeserved favor. Both of those, I love it. Favor is unearned and undeserved. All we have to do is rest in the grace that comes to us through Jesus Christ.
got me, gets me, thinking along these lines. Let me read to you an excerpt. Of all the descriptions that Jesus might have used to communicate what lies beyond the grave, he chose to use, quote, my father's house. The father's house is where, when we arrive, we will finally be able to say, I am home It has been said, home is the place that when you get there, they have to let you in. (laughs) Heaven will have to let us in is the implication that Jesus is making by calling it our father's house. No one has to let you in as when you are family. There are places you might go where you are 
are accepted by folks who do not genuinely know you. And there are places you might go where you are genuinely known. And on that basis, folks don't accept you. But in the Father's house, you are both known and accepted. You will be known and accepted on a genuine basis because that basis is the finished work of the cross. And on that basis alone does heaven have to let you in. That's a little excerpt from my book, It Is Finished. I forgot I even wrote that. I forgot everything I wrote in that book. So I read it. I go, hey, that's good. Better than my writing. Way enormously, eternally, infinitely better than my writing is the finished work of the cross. Better than your works. Better than your action is the finished work of the cross. So do what third day is about to sing and trust in Jesus. Nothing you 
writing in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Look at what Paul writes. That the grace of God, which has appeared to all men, teaches us. He literally says, the grace of God that brings salvation and has appeared to all men, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. I'm bringing that particular passage of scripture up because I may wonder to myself, do I preach constantly the grace of the Lord, the grace of God, and the grace of Jesus Christ in order to give us an easier way out? To give us excuses or do-overs or mulligans, not so much. If I really think it through, I believe what Paul here is writing is true, that it's the grace of God more than the law, more than religion in and of itself that teaches us to say no to worldly passions. Somehow, some way, it is the grace of God that teaches me to say no. When I realize how gracious God is, how slow to anger he is, when I really grasp that in my mind and in my heart, it doesn't allow me or cause me to sin more, but to sin less. I believe that. So it's not because of sin. It's not so that we can sin. It teaches us to say no to sin. It is because you are now in the most unqualified state for God's favor and have received it that now you want to walk in the ways of God. His grace is the teacher. See, if we allow this super abounding grace of God to fall on us, it, his grace will teach us to walk in his ways. His grace will teach us to say no to our worldly passions. His grace. It doesn't say the law will teach us. It doesn't say pastors will teach us or teachers will teach us to deny ungodliness. It says that the grace of God 
teaches us to deny ungodliness. Amen. Stop singing. 
And I want to suggest to you, in light of that truth in that song, that the holiest thing you can do is to rest in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the way to be the most holy is to put your trust and faith in his work and to rest in that work, knowing you cannot add to Jesus's work. So that when we rest from our own works in order to merit God's blessing and favor, we are honoring Jesus for a job well done. Otherwise, we negate the work of Jesus, assuming that it's our putting forward, our putting out our effort. That is what pleases God. Ask Martha how that did for her when she was trying to cook the meals compared to her sister Mary, who's sitting at Jesus's feet. And by the way, Jesus didn't rebuke her for her works. No, he's not rebuking us for our works. Far from that. But he is touching on her anxiety and her stress because he loves her. And who did he commend? Who did he highlight? Who did he praise in so many words? The one who was sitting down. And here's the thing. I've seen this in the last 20 years. Never let anyone make you feel guilty for sitting and resting at church. <laughs> because you rest and labor according to his grace and power inside of you. You know, like after taking a, a great nap, let's say on a Sunday afternoon, right? I mean, a good nap. When you get up, you feel like kicking the, down the doors and the windows. You feel like taking over the world. So too spiritually. Jesus teaches us. The New Testament reminds us you cannot work without first resting. And you cannot give unless you have first received. That's why I'm pointing to the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm talking about him. The same body that bore our sins on the cross and bore our depression and our sickness on the cross rose again three days later without them. If even one speck of that sin, depression, or sickness remained on Jesus. God would not have raised him from the dead, but he rose because God effectively put away our sin in Jesus Christ. Praise be to his 
name. I have an outstanding lunch appointment at a Chinese restaurant I highly doubt you've ever even been to. So I'm not going to tell you which one it is. But that's where I'm heading right now. So thank you for tuning in. And may the Lord bless you and keep you in the grace of Jesus Christ. Come out to the church tonight for our blessed, beautiful prayer meeting. An hour of prayer and meditation led by my pop, John Corson. And I'll see you there. God bless.